You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Three weeks ago, the Hong Kong government launched a major campaign. It wasn't a campaign to help deal with issues like the city's underperforming stock exchange or falling home prices. It wasn't to help schools that don't have enough student enrollments or to address the quality of care at elderly nursing homes. It was to boost the city's nightlife. Hello, 大家好，欢迎大家出席香港夜缤纷 Night Vibes Hong Kong 启动礼。It's called the Night Vibes Hong Kong campaign, and the government hopes it'll help revive the city's nightlife economy to its pre-pandemic years. 咁但系过往三年嘅疫情咧，可以话改变咗唔少人嘅生活习惯。It's not just Hong Kong, London, Tokyo, even New York, a city that famously doesn't sleep, are all struggling to wake up from a long COVID nap. Hong Kong is betting it can change the vibe, but what's at stake if it can't? This is Inside China. I'm Jasmine Se. Today, I'm joined by Connor Mycroft from the City Desk. He recently wrote a story about the state of Hong Kong's nightlife. Connor, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Connor, you've spent many long nights reporting for this story. How's your sleep schedule? It's mostly recovered. Mostly. <laughs> Glad to hear. So it's early October 2023, and we're nearly nine months from the end of Hong Kong's COVID restrictions. But we're still in something of a post-pandemic hangover. What's it been like on the streets of this city at night? So, Hong Kong at night is a bit uneven right now. I'd say, night spots like LKF, Peel Street, Nutsford Terrace—these typical, what you'd expect to see, you know, in terms of a bar scene—these places are very lively at night. But during the weekdays is when you see the biggest impact.、Uh, night markets like Temple Street, Sneaker Street, Ladies Market—they're basically shuttered by 9 p.m. Even bigger tourist attractions now, like you know, they have the observation wheel on the waterfront. There was nobody there when I went to visit, and this sort of gets to the heart of the challenges facing Hong Kong. Typically, in Asia's world city, as Hong Kong likes to. Call itself. You would expect there to be something happening every day of the week. So to have things only be popular or buzzing on the weekends, and even then in a more limited capacity, shows the problems that Hong Kong still is trying to overcome. Why isn't Hong Kong's nightlife as vibrant as before the pandemic? What happened? Well, as you know, Hong Kong had some of the strictest. Uh, pandemic restrictions across compared to most of the world, probably second only to、uh, the mainland itself, and you know beyond that, North Korea. <laughs> New COVID-19 restrictions will come into force in Hong Kong in two days. Dining in at restaurants will be banned after 6 p.m. as the city tries to contain a fourth wave of infections. These three years basically affected the way people interacted with each other and also with the city itself. People. Developed habits of just you know staying at home earlier. People didn't get together with friends as often because they weren't allowed to. And in general, people were afraid to go out as well. You talk to a lot of bar owners like I have, and they still say that this is something, especially because bars in Hong Kong are quite small and clubs in general are quite small. There's still this, you know, fear of infection, and not necessarily just from COVID, but just health concerns overall. I spoke to a, a group of university students in Causeway Bay, which is supposed to be the city's eminent shopping district. And of course, when you're there at 
7 p.m., it is quite packed still. But as soon as 9.30 p.m. or 10 p.m. hits, all the stores are mostly closed. And the biggest queues you see are for the taxis and bus stands, basically. So I ran into this group of, of students, and they were doing these sort of choreographed dance. And it was great to see, you know, this is something that used to be very common in Hong Kong were these sorts of performances. And they told me they were just there trying to promote Hong Kong street culture. Now, I was there around 10.30 p.m., maybe, I think I stuck around until like 11 p.m. talking to them. And they told me that recently they've been getting noise complaints from residents. And that this was, you know, quite shocking because again, this is, this is the city's eminent shopping district. This is something that used to be bumping until midnight. And because of those changes, because of the pandemic, people just got used to things closing so early. So now a couple kids trying to dance for tourists late into the evening is enough to warrant calling the police, basically. And yeah, I think it is quite sad, especially when you can compare it to what it used to be. I mean, everything closes so early. So locals are going home earlier. They're not staying out late as much. But what about tourists? What do they think of Hong Kong's nightlife? So when it comes to tourists and visitors to the city, I think it really depends on whether it's their first time visiting or if they visited before. So when you talk to people who've never come to Hong Kong and this is their first time, one, they are still quite amazed at the beauty of the city. You know, Hong Kong's always had a very beautiful nightlife aesthetic. But they also acknowledge they don't feel like there's a lot to do. So most of the activities are being concentrated in the daytime. I spoke to one German couple who was visiting and they had just gotten their photo taken in the Central Harbor front. They had the beautiful skyline behind them. And when I asked them what they were going to do next, and this was at 9.30 p.m., <laughs> they told me they were going back to their hotel room. So I think that should say a lot about the state of you know Hong Kong's night appeal to tourists. And then you also need to consider those who've been to Hong Kong before. I spoke to a Australian who was here for business. We were in the ladies' market in Mong Kok, and he was familiar with what the city looked like pre-pandemic. I mean, in 2018, I remember being here, and it took you probably 15 minutes just to navigate one road because of how packed it could be with people. But when we were there, it, basically everything was closed, and he sort of lamented that. I mean, he comes regularly for business, but... I think those who've been here before always look back to that as like some halcyon day of the city and they can see it, the scars, just as clearly as residents can. That's not to say that everything in Hong Kong is bust. There are, you know, there's a lot of reporting that didn't make it into the final piece. I spoke to over 30 residents, visitors, tourists, etc. for this. Some of the visitors did speak very highly about Hong Kong's nightlife and what they identified was the safety so I spoke with these two international students, two young women. They're um, studying at HKU, and they're originally from India. And they could not stop praising how safe Hong Kong's nightlife was, which is actually something that Hong Kong does benefit over other jurisdictions. I mean, if you're in New York City, of course, great city, but it's also quite dangerous and has a reputation for that. Hong Kong, by comparison, I mean, these are two 20-year-old women, and they said they never felt endangered at all walking around late at night which is not something you can get almost anywhere else. 
And then another thing too, young people are also quite happy about Hong Kong's transport. You know, Hong Kong's long been lauded as having one of the greatest public transport systems, and it does have quite a robust nighttime bus system that also benefits people. So, you know, young people again who might be cash strapped if they're university students, they don't have to rely on taxis. There's buses they can take at certain hours as well. So Hong Kong's nightlife does have its benefits. It just continues to pale in comparison to what it used to be pre-pandemic. In a bid to revive the city's nightlife, on September 14th, the Hong Kong government launched the Night Vibes campaign. Take us through this campaign. What does it consist of? The Night Vibes campaign, the umbrella effect it's hoping to have is to revitalize the city's nightlife. To do that, they are incentivizing shopping malls to stay open later. They're providing all sorts of, you know, incentives in the form of discounts and other things of that nature. They're hosting a couple new night bazaars along the Wan Chai Promenade and in TST. And they're also sort of roping in previously existing events as well. So the Hong Kong's Wine and Dine Festival is going to be making a return later this year. That's now under the Night Vibes umbrella. This past weekend, we had Mid-Autumn Festival, and a lot of those events, including the Tai Hung Fire Dragon Festival, was brought in under the Night Vibes umbrella. The, the overall intention is to basically incentivize people to go out later and it's just kind of throwing everything at the wall I think and trying to see what sticks. You included some data points in your story that retail sales for the first half of this year are up by 20.7 percent over the same period last year and the city welcomed 20 million tourists between January and August. These numbers sound like a positive but how do they compare to before the pandemic? Right so When we look at these figures, we need to assess how they look historically. Um, I'll start with the tourism figures. Of course, you know, for three years, there was virtually zero tourism in Hong Kong. So, of course, you know, in the first three quarters, we're welcoming 20 million people. That's that's quite a lot when you compare it to zero. But when you look before the pandemic, and particularly in 2018, which is when tourism peaked in the city, we had 65 million tourists come in. So that's we're still only at about less than a third of the way to peak tourism again. And then also when it comes to retail sales, of course, it looks good. We have 20.7% over the same period last year. Now, this is obviously good for restaurants that, you know, they're seeing more business. But when you think about what, what Hong Kong was like last year, I mean, this was the tail end of the fifth wave. So, you know, this is again, restaurants being shuttered, forced to close at a certain hour. You only had limited amounts of people who were allowed to be together. So, of course, these data points point to a recovery, but they're still a far ways away from what the city used to be like. So for your story, where did you go and what did you see? So myself and other members of my team on the city desk, we've been covering this as much as we can. Uh, One of the big ones that first kind of kicked off the campaign was the Happy Valley Race Course started doing free entry on Wednesdays. And so on that first day, September 20th, I mean, the the vibe in that race course was electric, I'd say. You know, you had live music and acrobatics alongside the typical horse betting and beer drinking. And so it just created a very revelrous kind of atmosphere. And then the first night bazaar along the Avenue of Stars and K11 Museum Promenade was also quite a big hit. It was mostly locals and mainland tourists there, not a lot of foreign tourists. But speaking to those that were there, you know, they were very pleasantly surprised. They saw it as a, if not a turning point, then at least a positive development in Hong Kong's night scene. 
And、um, Hong Kong's leader John Lee has said that some of the malls that have organized night events under this Hong Kong Night Vibes campaign have actually secured 20 to 30 percent more business than before. We just had a long weekend in Hong Kong. There was the Mid Autumn Festival and a National Day holiday. And during long weekends, people tend to stay out later at night because they don't have to work the next day. But did that actually happen? Was this long weekend able to help revive Hong Kong's nightlife? So we don't have exact figures yet. Of course, there are predictions going into the weekend. Some industry leaders predicted that the joint Mid Autumn Festival National Day could generate as much as 1.2 billion Hong Kong dollars,、um, and there was a lot of discounts on sale as well. Now. From anecdotal evidence and from being out over the weekend, it was definitely the busiest I've seen Hong Kong in a very long time. Just for the fireworks alone on Sunday night, the police estimate there were around 430,000 people lining both sides of the harbor. I spoke to industry representatives who said that you know restaurants along those sections of the city were booked right up all weekend. Other events like the previously mentioned Tai Hung Fire Dragon Festival, which was making its first post-pandemic return. I mean, Tai Hung is quite a small place. It's just filled with walk-ups. It's I'm not sure the exact dimensions, but it's quite small. And you picture having thousands and thousands of people packed into these narrow roads for this one event. I remember on the last day. Which was a Saturday. The police had set up barricades, you know, outside of the Tai Hung area, just to stop the massive crowds that were still trying to come in ahead of its start. So, again, once we see those figures, we'll we'll get a better picture of it. But for now, it definitely looks like the weekend was a big boon for the city's nightlife. SCMP also reported that many people were leaving Hong Kong during this long weekend. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So this has kind of been one of the biggest issues that Hong Kong has faced since its reopening. Is that as much as it's recovering and we're bringing more people in, there are huge outflows of Hong Kong residents every weekend, not just to you know nearby Shenzhen, but also other countries. So over this weekend, we saw nearly four hundred and sixty thousand people from the mainland come into Hong Kong from Friday to Sunday. Which was about 87% of the total arrivals, but at the same time, we saw almost 990,000 Hong Kong residents depart over the three days, with 87% entering the mainland. So these are people looking to go to Shenzhen or elsewhere, where things are significantly cheaper than Hong Kong. You know, not just in nightlife activities, but everything. You know, you can go to spas and other sort of. Restaurants, family activities like their theme parks of this nature, like everything is significantly cheaper there, and this has been an ongoing problem for the city. I spoke with Simon Wong, who's the president of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades, and he said that this sort of weekend exodus to Shenzhen is definitely the biggest struggle for Hong Kong's restaurant scene right now. You know, a day of expenses there is about two thirds cheaper than what it is in Hong Kong. So it's very hard for places here to compete with that. You know, it's not just the restaurants or the night scene; it's also just any sort of family activities,、uh, museum entrance fees, anything of this nature, shopping as well. So people have just been flooding into there every weekend, basically.、Um, to put it in perspective, in July alone, there were nearly 4.7 million trips made by Hong Kong residents into Shenzhen. So that should. Put into perspective the scale of this sort of 
you know, weekly exchange, let's say, that's pulling money out of the Hong Kong economy and bringing it into the mainland economy. Speaking of the mainland, we've covered this in a previous episode before, but can you explain to us how mainland tourists who come to Hong Kong are traveling differently compared to before the pandemic? Mainland tourists used to be associated with showing up with tons of suitcases and stuffing them full of luxury goods they couldn't get in the mainland and then heading back across. And of course, you do still see that. But the new interesting thing is that you know, these hole-in-the-wall style, like cha chan tangs or traditional Hong Kong-style diners, these have now become a big draw for mainland tourists, which was unheard of before. You know, Xiaohongshu, which is a mainland app similar to Instagram, has basically driven tourists to all these sorts of what would be considered hidden gems in the city that never used to be. I mean, these were the things that were disappearing pre-pandemic, and suddenly these are the things that people want to go to more than anything else. Connor, with this campaign, what's at stake here? Why is it so important? So I think what you want to consider is that Hong Kong pegs itself as being Asia's world city. It wants... It is, or it used to be, very much so one of the most international cities in the world. And to be an international city and to have this draw of not only keeping residents out, but drawing in tourists and bringing in expats, which is something that the city is also trying hard to do, you need to have things that appeal to them. And one of those big things is a nightlife. I spoke with some experts who said, you know... If you want to be an international city, you need to have a nightlife. And without a nightlife, your city appears as though it's not dynamic. And that will turn people away. You know, neighboring Singapore, which is our biggest rival, whenever I spoke with tourists who had been to both places, they kept talking about some of these new and exciting attractions that they have at night, including certain degree night markets. But, you know, they've also been doing this uh, Formula One Singapore Grand Prix for years. And that most recent edition drew something like 250,000 people just for one weekend in the city. So you really need a lot of this to help Hong Kong regain its status as an international city and as Asia's world city. But also it matters a lot to the restaurants themselves and the dining establishments and the bars themselves. I spoke to one industry representative who said that You know, when you compare what people spend, when you think about a lunchtime order, we're talking in Hong Kong dollars, maybe $120, maybe, or anywhere between 60 to 120 Hong Kong dollars. But when you think about what they bring in in supper time or other times in the evening, we're talking about $200, $300, $400. When you go to the fine dining places, many of which that don't open until the evening, it could be up to 1,000 Hong Kong dollars. So, of course, for the restaurants and dining establishments, the nighttime is much more lucrative for their industry than anything during the day. And then there's also this whole idea of economic capacity. So when you close early, you cut off potential spending, basically. So I spoke with one economist, and of course, this is sort of a incomplete comparison, and he acknowledged it himself, but he compared it to the trading floor of a stock exchange. The longer the trading floor stays open, the more trades can happen. So the hope is that by opening up longer and keeping things open longer, Hong Kong can expand its economic capacity, which will generate more revenue. And in turn, all that money going back into the economy can also instigate new and other developments. Because one of the things you have to realize is that if there's no money circulating in the economy, there's no incentive to have anything that appeals at nighttime. You need to have this sort of um, activity happening in order for there to be any incentive for more nightlife. The Night Vibes campaign was launched a few weeks ago. What have people been saying about it? 
Do they think it's a success? So residents have been responding quite positively to it so far. So at the the Waterfront Bazaar in TST, there was lots of people saying, you know, maybe it wasn't the kicker that was really going to bring Hong Kong's nightlife back, but at least it was a good start. And I think this is sort of the sentiment across all these events is that people are responding positively to them, at least Hong Kong residents are, and it is drawing people out. But when you talk with economists, they're quite hesitant so far. Um, I spoke with a few for the story. One of the ones that stand out in particular was the one economist who basically said the campaign doesn't go far enough and it doesn't address the major issues. So one of the big things, of course, with trying to bring people out is they still need money to spend. It doesn't matter if you've extended shopping hours at a shopping mall if nobody's actually in there shopping. And he said, you know, you have to look more at the macroeconomic issues. And this was true across all the economists I spoke to for this piece, is that you need to look at the macroeconomic difficulties facing the city. One, as we previously mentioned, is this massive outflow of residents every weekend. The other being, you know, the mainland economy, which is usually a big draw for our tourism industry, is also struggling right now. Hong Kong itself has had a sluggish stock market. And if you want to bring back people to come out. They need a reason to come out. And tourism was always a big driver for this. So one of the other things that we're seeing is that tourism preferences have changed post-pandemic. A lot of these very common pre-pandemic tourist attractions that the city had, which was, you know, uh, high-end shopping, these sorts of night markets, a lot of these things aren't as appealing as they used to be. What people now coming to Hong Kong want to see are more authentic, traditional, unique to Hong Kong style attractions that I think people have rightly pointed out. A lot of them have disappeared. So, you know, Dai Paidong's, the outside street dining, those have been lost to bureaucratic regulation. The same with Hong Kong's neon signs. A lot of these things that used to be sort of staples of Hong Kong nightlife have disappeared over the last decade. And what's replaced it was sort of designed for a pre-pandemic tourist that no longer exists. So if Hong Kong really wants to get its mojo back, they need to start, you know, assessing what it is that makes Hong Kong unique from other destinations. Because unfortunately, luxury shopping doesn't do it anymore. And you can't compete with a place like Taipei or Bangkok on price when it comes to night markets. So from my conversations with not only residents, but experts and economists, the, the universal theme is that the government really needs to sit down and think about what Hong Kong has that makes it stand out from others, as opposed to tracing trends that others probably can do better. Connor Mycroft is a reporter on the City Desk. You can find his latest articles on scmp.com. I'm Jasmine Se, and this is Inside China. Bye for now. <laughs>